Welcome in to another edition of Inside Carolina's Day After Podcast. North Carolina 41, Miami 31. We're, of course, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and johnnytshirt.com. I will start out with Buck Sanders. Buck, that was a heck of a football game in Keenan Stadium last night. Heck of a win for North Carolina. Yeah, and I think uh, maybe uh, one of the biggest points about it is that, at which Mac made in his press conference, is that North Carolina didn't play that well and won. They didn't have their best game of the season. Um, they made a lot of mistakes. There was a lot of things they had to clean up. I think he's correct in assuming that uh, it's going to be a lot easier to teach these guys uh, to clean up some of the mistakes they made. But it's impressive to me, and I'm just going to go say, go ahead and say Miami's a good team. I'm not going to say they're a great team, but they got speed, they got size, they got athletes, um, and uh, they're a good team. Fortunately, last night, North Carolina was a better team. Yeah, to that point, Jason, uh, I, I was reading, I think I saw 3.07 last night on my clock. Here we are at 9 a.m. Um, but I was had to read everything, watch everything. And I caught a tweet caught my eye this morning, and, and I wanted to put it up <laughs> before I introduce you here, folks. That's Jason Staples, of course. Somebody on the – in either on Twitter or the message board said the guys nailed it on the game plan when we talked about it. And here's why Jason Staples guaranteed that this game would end in a knee and said North Carolina would end the game in a knee, not, not the way we expected, but a knee nonetheless, Jason, uh, your overall thoughts before we dig into this one. First of all, Bravo, uh, and well played to the Geo Biggers for making sure that not he didn't just slide down after that interception. He took a knee and looked around. <laughs> yeah, uh, and <laughs> bravo also to uh, to our very own uh, Adam Smith for the uh, the observation that that uh, one big part of this game came down to uh, to Javari Ritzy putting the right knee in the right place and uh, you know forcing a fumble <sighs> yeah so that's there's 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 a lot lot of meat on that bone but we'll we'll go ahead and move on I, I think one of the one of the big keys and we were talking off air about this one of the big things that that I I took away from this game was this is a Carolina team that can take a punch and can then counter what the what the what the opposing team has done so they, they've done that in multiple games but this was a good team like like buck said this is this is a this is a good football team this is the best team they played by a good bit the most complete team they've played and in the early going i thought miami had had the edge on, on a number of things where, you know, they kind of had Carolina on their heels up against the ropes a little bit and then Carolina adjusted. And this has not been something that, uh, 
that Carolina has been real good at in, in recent years is adjusting in some of those bigger games. And we talked, we talked about that coming into the season about, well, you know, we'll see if they're, if they, you know, obliterate some of the lower level teams that they, that they'll, that they've played the way that they did, you know, with Phil Longo as the, as the offensive coordinator, you know, we'll see if they, if they're quite as, if they put up quite the numbers in some of those games, doubt they will, but I do think they'll have more counters in some of those big games, more wrinkles and, and things to respond when better teams are able to take certain things away or able to, to, uh, to cause them problems. And I think this game was absolutely, was absolutely that Miami came in with some stuff prepared that made North Carolina uncomfortable, took away some stuff that they wanted to do early and they adjusted and they had some things in the bag to say, okay, well, if you're going to, you're going to do that, then here's how we'll, we'll, we'll counter. Here's how we'll adjust. And that stuff worked. And I, I thought that was absolutely critical in this game. Yeah, but we, like Jason said, we're talking off air, and I was watching it unfold um, in Keenan Stadium. Carolina could not block them. I mean, watching the first quarter, these guys can't block Miami. And, look, we can talk smack about Miami and give them a hard time. That is a really good football team. It is. Coaching staff, probably not so much. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a defensive coordinator go nuts on like on the field and cost his team a, a big penalty. But Buck, to Jason's point, the counters off the counters off the counters, the adjustments. That's why we've said all along this North Carolina team's different. Just sort of your take on that historically in this season. And it's just it's just different for the boys in Chapel Hill to be able to come up with a left if you're taking away the right or the right if you're taking away the left. It, it is fascinating to watch. Yeah, historically, we can start there. I can think back to um, it was either the first or second game of uh, Carl Torbush's tenure. Uh, this is in 98, 1998. And I forget even who they were playing now, I, but I remember the remark vividly because that team ran on North Carolina for about 200 yards. And after the game, Torbush said, I just didn't know they could run the ball like that on us. Uh, and uh, you probably remember that too, Tommy. And since that time, since 1998, how many UNC football teams could really lock down somebody on the ground? There were some moments under Butch Davis, you know, one or two, and then maybe in Fedora's first year um, under Jim Bunning, I can't remember a time we were ever able to stop the run except maybe momentarily in 2001. Um, but North Carolina has just not, that's just not been something in their defensive quiver, right? They couldn't say, well, what we're going to try to do this, this game we're going to stop the run. Gene Chiswick in 2015, after the season's over with, told me that, hey, we just made a decision. We can't, we're not good at everything. <laughs> we'll just, we'll just try to be good at one thing. And so teams want to run the ball. They can run the ball, but they're just not going to be able to throw on us. We're going to just um, flood the secondary and, and forget about the run. This is a team that can do both. They can. Now, Miami victimized UNC a little bit. They got some good receivers. That George kid, 
you know, uh, Jacoby George, he can really catch the ball. And uh, uh, the other guy, Xavier. I'll Restrepo. Last, yeah. yeah. Uh, also a good player. Uh, and, and, and Tyler Van Dyke can uh, spin the ball. So stopping that was going to be a huge challenge all along. But what they could do and did do is just shut them down on the ground. They got less than 100 yards. Where on the flip side, they ran for 200. And North Carolina hadn't had this option to going into a game, game planning and say, well, here's what we'll do. We'll shut down this phase of the game, the run, and then try to make the quarterback beat us because they couldn't shut down the run. They had no chance to use that as a defensive strategy, which brings us back full circle to the idea of counters. Um, if a team is doing A, then North Carolina can do B to counter that. Um, and they they can use either side or any different – many other different combinations on defense to make that happen. Um, so I, I think that's the biggest thing to me is that not only can they see when it's necessary to make adjustments, they can actually make them. Uh, and being able to make the adjustment, I think is what, and we can talk, we'll talk about this many points during this uh, show and later this year, but uh, this team is proving that they are different. This is a different UNC team. Um, and that's one of the things that makes them different is because they have a counter and a counter to the counter in a lot of different areas where they've not had it. Yeah, looking at the total yards, and this is the Inside Carolina Day After podcast, of course. Shout out to – we're almost at 600, folks. I think our record live for one of these is 808. So let's try to push that number. So call your friends and family. Tell them to get on the live stream right now, get in the chat. And I promise I'm trying to monitor the chat, but it goes so fast. And it's early in the morning for me, and I'm tired. But I'll do my best to keep up with it. Guys, if you see something in the chat, let me know so we can call it out. Uh, but total yards, Carolina 508, Miami 482. But to Buck's point, Jason, the rushing yards, 235 to 91. Um, and they also were able to get the Van Dyke several times late. Just what do you see as far let, – let's start with the defensive side of the ball because I think that's the story of the game um, and then the run game and then Tez Walker, of course, we'll get to. Uh, but North Carolina's ability to combat that huge offensive line and we said Miami's going to want to run it. Everybody in the building knew Miami was going to run it. To Buck's point, they could not. What do you see? Well, I mean, I think it was, first of all, a, a real team effort up front. I mean, they did a they did an excellent job of fitting the correct gaps through most of the game. Uh, this was not a situation where it was one guy who just wrecked things. Although I will say, Cedric Gray played an absolute monster game, just a monster game. Uh, and that's you know both against the pass and against the run, he was all over the field in terms of uh, of being a, of being a difference maker. Uh, it's a game like this that's why he probably should repeat as a first team all ACC player. I mean, he and he and uh and uh the the uh the guy for Clemson um zero number 0 for Clemson, Barrett Carter. He and Barrett Carter are the two best backers I've seen in the ACC this year and two of the best in the country. I mean, both of those guys are just amazing. Um so, you know, couple helmet stickers to said gray 
but I also thought the the defensive tackles in this game were really active. And, you know, I thought this is one of the best games Miles Murphy has played in a couple of years. Uh, he, he, you know, and, and he's been a guy where sometimes he looks like a world beater. And then there are other times where, you know, you kind of get frustrated. This was a game where he was fully involved uh, and, you know, made, made a difference. Uh, I, and the thing is, I, I think Miami's strength, one of Miami's strengths is at their tackle position in the run game. And I thought Carolina's edges held up in the run game over the course of the game where they were able to set those edges set all game. And so you, you look at Rucker, you look at Des Evans, those guys were able to, uh, I mean, it was not so much about the pass rush in this game, although that happened as Carolina got the lead. And then Miami started to have to throw the football a little bit more to get back into the game. You started seeing those edges get some, you know, specifically Rucker, get some pass rush out of it. But I just thought they did a fantastic job of not getting pushed around, of maintaining their their proper leverage in their proper gap on the edge in this game. And so there wasn't a whole lot of space for Miami's backs. And we talked about this before the game. You know, I, I don't think Miami's backs are special. I, I mean, I, I just think both both of those guys are, you know, they're good backs, you know, but there's nothing that you look at and you're like, oh, that's that's a future NFL starter. And we we said before the game, what did we say? If, if Omarion Hampton was at Miami, he'd be their starter. And I think that was demonstrated <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, last night that, that you know, you put a, an Omari and Hampton on that Miami team, and I think maybe they have a little bit of a different situation. But uh, they did a great job on the defensive line of of playing unselfish football across the front four, and then fitting well. And then Cedric Gray and Power Eccles just got guys on the ground. Those backs didn't break a bunch of tackles, and there were a bunch of them where it was like, okay, that could. Oh, is he going to break that? And then Gray or, or Eccles got him on the ground. And you know that's that's what it that's what matters in, in in this. I thought that was the 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 key up front to stopping their run. Yeah, uh, to your point about the running backs, and I forget which one it was, whether it was Cheney or Parrish. He breaks out, he breaks down the left side, and you thought it was going to be a, a long touchdown run, and said was a, able to get him from behind and get him on the ground. Yeah, that's uh, Parrish. I mean, yeah, yeah. If 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 that play goes for a long touchdown, maybe the game's different. You know, and it's just. The, the way they played, I mean, Rucker, all of them, but yeah, if I were given a helmet sticker in this one, I'd give it to Miles Murphy. And we've banged on Murphy a lot on this podcast. He balled out yesterday, but sure did. Uh, those guys, you know, Travis Shaw, I think, tweaked something in warm ups or whatever, so he didn't play that I see. At least he didn't mark a snap or, or check a box on, his, on the stat sheet. But, Buck, that's another thing about you know, stopping the run is that individual guys have to do their jobs. And I'll never forget Chiswick last year saying, we do, basically said, we do what we're able to do. I'm not going to call something that I know we can't do, whether it's press coverage or whatever, you know, with the kind of smirk that he has. Well, he's earned that smirk because his guys, specifically the defensive line, who we've hammered, the coaching staff and everybody on that, but that, for me, Seeing that against a team like Miami with that offensive line, I mean, I've been doing this a long time. 
that was as good as defensive line as they've had since Mac's first go round here, and maybe an eight and nine. But just overall thoughts on Murphy, those guys in the middle, Javari Ritzy. I, I mean, can't give a helmet tap on the way by. Um, I guess that's what they called, but just whatever. Whatever on that one, but but I just sort of talk about it. Officiated as far as that stuff now. That 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 we'll get we'll get to the passer. You fell on the quarterback as you were tackling him. Like, come on! And then you tap his helmet going by, and and it yeah. Trying to slap the football and accidentally getting a couple fingers on the quarterback's face mask. You know, automatic touchdown awarded to the offense. Like, come on, guys! And it just happened to be a gigantic play earlier early in the ball game but but your, your take just on that defensive front i mean said gray's fantastic power echoes is laying the wood but the defensive fronts they're different the you know theme we, is we, different we we hype on this or talk about this quite often but especially recently but we talk about miles murphy and what a great game he had and he was fully involved and was getting the job done he played 33 snaps hmm 33 snaps and that's what's going to, I think, continue to make this team better down the stretch is they're, they're not going to, at least on a defensive line and probably in the entire, on the entire defense, they're not going to hit a wall, uh, going down the stretch because they're just, their legs are gone. Uh, they're going to be able to play. Their legs are going to be fresh and. I fully expect when they go down to Clemson for what should be a really interesting game, they're not going to be worn out. You know, they're not going to be, you know, uh, spending the entire week ahead of the game in the cold tub because they played 90 snaps on defense. Uh, and that's a, a bigger factor than I think we really give credit to the way we should that ability to stay fresh and give a hundred percent on the snaps where you're in. Uh, so there's that. I, and I think as far as we're still talking about the defense, Miami was able to throw the ball and they've got really good receivers, but I very seldom saw, it was a few, few times that I saw a UNC secondary defender out of position The they were around the ball. They could make a play. And they made some plays. Marcus Allen made a beautiful play in the end zone to, to knock a ball out. And, and several other uh, players made uh, great plays in the secondary. But even when the the Miami receiver was able to catch the ball, they're not able to do quite as much damage as they once would be able to because there's a pretty good chance that secondary guy is going to make the tackle. Um, so th- that limits – to some extent, what what team how teams can take advantage of um, North Carolina secondary? Jason, the secondary play we said Huzzy Restrepo matchup would be one to watch and a key matchup. Uh, you know they've got those guys on the outside, but just talk about the Huzzy and it wasn't really Huzzy and Restrepo all the time. But how did North Carolina fare handling Restrepo? In overall, I mean, obviously the outcome's a great outcome for North Carolina, but that specific matchup, that young man can play. And one thing I don't know if people saw is after the game, Restrepo stayed on the field to wait for Tez Walker to be finished with the media. 
And, of course, he spoke with Corey Gaynor there, but he stood there and waited and spoke to Tez and a couple other Carolina players. And then he kind of limped off because he took a beating, and he Amari Gaynor almost broke him in half. Just that matchup for North Carolina, it was one they needed to win. Strepo, Restrepo had some great stats at the end of the night, but I felt like that was another difference for North Carolina's secondary to be able to handle somebody like him and not let him just go nuclear. He went off. He didn't go nuclear. Uh, your thoughts there? Well, I mean, he was he was targeted 17 times in this game. Tis a lot. But, yeah, that's, that's an awful lot. Targeted 17 times, but only 65% of the time did that end in a catch. So, yeah, he had two touchdowns, 11 catches for 96 yards. 11 for 96, by the way, is under nine yards a catch. So what they did is they did a great job overall of making making it so that he didn't he was not the guy that would beat you right i mean the one touchdown where he's wide open that was just a bust where you know they they sifted wrong against the uh against the the bunch look and they got that fixed later miami went right back to the same play and the next time you had elijah huzzy right on him and with with pass breakup like you know that that was huge uh, there was another point where third down and they ran one of the things that they love to run where they get him isolated on a, on a slot re- on the slot corner and ran him on a seam and Van Dyke threw it and it hit Huzzy in the back because he was in perfect position. I mean, there were a number of those plays where, yeah, you know, when you got a good player, when you got a guy that they want to feed the football, that's kind of their, the, the quarterback security blanket, he's going to have some opportunities. And he's going to get some catches here and there, but they limited the damage for the most part over the course of the game. And there were really key spots where, you know, Miami went to go to him and he just wasn't, he wasn't open and they were able to close that down or they, or he did catch it and they were able to tackle him short of the sticks, you know, those sorts of things. So yeah, that's, um, I thought they did well on him in, in general and, and they, they bracketed him a lot. They didn't have, Huzzy on him one on one all the you know all game they didn't you know do the box and one type thing they did a lot of brackets so they they used a lot of zone stuff and man match or, or zone match stuff to uh to to basically layer it and a couple of the interceptions or the the one interception that they had a couple of the the pass breakups and things that they had were a matter of Van Dyke not seeing the underneath coverage well because you know he's he's trying to go to his guy and not reading that there's a guy layered underneath that. And they did a really good job with that, of layering their coverage and, and making sure that guys knew where he was so that they could slide toward that a little bit and and, and match uh, to that. So so I thought they did a, a, a really good job on that overall. Yeah, compared to what we've seen in the past, another reason why I say this North Carolina team is different. Buck, staying on the defensive side, and we're going to talk about the offense. I'm marking some questions. Um, there were a couple moments – on the other side of the ball that I definitely want to hit on. But, but just pick out somebody we haven't talked about yet. Uh, I'd say Bo Atkinson, 100% motor, constantly out there. Uh, but he And he's part of the the overall collective that uh, Jason's talking about in terms of setting the edge. It's something that Atkinson does really well. He's going to get um, outside leverage uh, on the, the offensive lineman and – 
funnel everything back in, spill everything back inside. That's just his MO, and he's a really a good pass rusher as well. But he only, like, got 12 snaps. I mean, uh, we could talk about him. Um, but, you know, the guy that I, I would probably um, think about in this game as someone who is making progress as a player is Tayon Holloway. Um, Holloway had some really good moments yesterday. And you can see his growth over the course of the year. He he kind of got abused at, at in South Carolina, and he's had some you know a little bit of uh, some bumps along the way. But he is making solid progress as a defender in the secondary. Uh, so that's somebody that I would bring up. Uh, no other linebackers played except for um, Gray and uh, Power Eccles. Um, so yeah, that's that's who I would single out on the defensive side of the ball. Although there was a lot, it was a as Jason also said earlier, they really played as a team on defensively uh, yesterday, probably to an extent uh, that we haven't seen lately. They just communicated really well. Yeah, how many people um, almost lost their tailgate dinner when Cedric Gray goes down in a heap after that fumble return? Good gracious, that was a rough moment in Keenan Stadium when that happened, obviously, just a win. If folks, if, if you're watching this and you've yet to watch the players after the game, uh, Adam, Jeremiah, and Jalen, all of them got those interviews up pretty quickly in the middle of the night. When I say quickly, it was like 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Go back and watch it and and listen to Cedric and listen to those guys. But, Jason, your player on defense we haven't talked about. I thought Armani Chapman played well. You know, I thought he made a big play over on the far sideline, on the Carolina sideline, on a, I believe it might have been a fourth down for them in, in the second half. But who have we not talked about that North Carolina fans need to be mindful of that's making this that group effort we're talking about? Marcus Allen. Uh, yeah. Marcus Allen balled out again. Uh, and, and the thing is, the corners keep getting better. The corners are the, – the, the Carolina corners have – continued to take steps forward over the course of the season and that that has not been true the last couple of years and and Marcus Allen is a guy that I thought again held up against you know Miami's receivers are not the best in the ACC but they're they're not down toward the bottom you know this is a top four or five wide receiver core with a with a quarterback who is cutting people up pretty well and the thing is like, like Buck said, when guys made tackles, they got them on the ground. Or when guys made catches, they got them on the ground. And beyond that, every receiver, with a couple exceptions toward the end, you know, you think about the one deep deep throw on the double move at the end where it's like, how are you going to let that happen? And then you had the couple a couple missed sifts earlier where, you know, you had, uh, you had a couple little busts. But for the most part, they when Miami got something, they, they made them earn it. And, you know, that's something that, that uh, I think they, they, they continue to do over the course of the season. But, uh, but I thought Marcus Allen held up pretty well there. Um, I mean, you called out Armani Chapman, who played 35 snaps as well. Uh, as a guy that, that on those 35 snaps was rock solid. So, you know, I, I just think overall, across the board, Carolina's corners just made Miami earn it. And, and did a pretty dang dang good job of not giving up a bunch of big plays. Yep, a couple of us you mentioned. Uh, 
but overall, I think you know people in the chat are talking about Giovanni Bigger certainly played well, um, got the game sealing interception as well. Um, so just a lot to go around on this defensive team for North Carolina, and, and that's one of those things that had to be better. We we've talked about if they could just be decent, you know, then this North Carolina team could be special. Here they are at six and zero. I think they're a little better than decent, and I think they flashed really good at this times. This is a legit so, contender. Yeah, and that's that's where I was going to go at the very end. But this team is this team is firmly in the national discussion, or should be. You know, a lot of these uh, uh, this should be last, but a lot of these pundits will talk about North Carolina and talk about Drake May and talk about even Marianne Hampton now, and definitely Tez Walker. But they still sleep on North Carolina's defense, and I think yep. that is why North Carolina is a contender is because this defense is playing. Like we've talked about this entire show, they're playing as a complete unit, but they also have the star power to make splash plays repeatedly, and they make teams earn it, to Jason's point. I'm going to take a second to talk about Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Mm. We're halfway through this Woo. show. we got a lot to talk about left, uh, but we got to talk about Johnny. And Johnny's T-shirts, and uh, like Jeff Polly said in the chat, we got seven seventy-three. As I say this, take a second to go to JohnnyT-shirt.com and give them your business. I, I saw a lot of North Carolina swag in Keenan Stadium and in the parking lot last night, and I also saw a lot of Johnny T-shirt swag. But we need to see more Johnny T-shirt stuff. You, you need to go get the jerseys. If you're a basketball person and you really want some basketball swag, they've got it there. They've got your tailgate gear. They've got home gate gear. Whatever you need, whether it's online at johnnytshirt.com or on East Franklin Street, go check them out and say, hey, they're alumni. They're just like a lot of us. They are all about North Carolina. They're all about inside Carolina. And we need to be all about Johnny T-Shirt. 10% off if you're a premium subscriber. Jason Staples will probably have three or four film breakdowns this week that will be worth the price of admission on the premium side. And then you get the 10% off. It's like getting free money and free gear. Check them out. The national guys will pay the bills. It's the day after. Carolina answered the bell against the Hurricanes. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Buck, we're halfway through this, and we have hardly even mentioned Tez Walker. And here it is the day after, and Tez Walker has gone off. Your thoughts on what you saw from the young man, they could not cover him. Just like they couldn't block him, and we'll talk about that, they could not cover Tez Walker. Uh, Just a complete game changer like we expected. 
and it's happened really quick for a young man that's been eligible now for 10 days. But what do you see? You know, I've spent a good bit of time during the week looking at what other people are saying about North Carolina and going on uh, YouTube and searching for previews of games coming up and seeing what other people are having to say. There's quite a proliferation of those these days with betting and gambling being how it is. Everybody's into the, let me tell you who to to bet on this weekend. Um, But with some of the videos that I watched and a lot of the previews that I saw, very few of them even mentioned Tess Walker. And I, I suppose there's a reason for that. He hadn't played up until last week and even when he played then, he just had a few catches and, you know, what was six catches for 43 yards, something along those lines. And, and nobody really had a, an idea. I do not think, um, maybe outside of Jason Staples that, um, Tez could be the factor that he is. And he's just one guy, just one receiver but it's going to change how teams have to play North Carolina from this point forward. Those three touchdowns were great, beautiful things of beauty, but what that's going to do is going to make Virginia play North Carolina differently. It's going to make Duke play North Carolina differently. Uh, it's going to make everybody play North Carolina differently because they're not going to be able to, um, you know, just stuff the box full of defenders because Tess Walker could get past you and get past you in a quickness. Um, and when he does, he's going to catch the ball. He's smooth. He, he's such a smooth runner and deceptively fast, I think. Um, but he can catch the ball, get past you, make, make the right route on the ball turn when he needs to. Uh, he's just a real threat. And that just means that, uh, or more in Hampton going forward is going to have an easier time of it. British Brooks is going to have an easier time of it. Teams are not going to be able to, um, come after Drake quite as frequently, um, unless they just are willing to accept that he's going to have a, uh, Tez Walker running free in the, on the back end of your, their defense. And they're willing to live with that. So. The, the great thing about Tez Walker is the three touchdowns were wonderful. Um, he's an amazing, he's a freak, no question. Um, but his greater importance is what he's going to force other defenses to do when they play North Carolina. Indeed, there, Walker against Miami, six for 132, three touchdowns. Uh, Jason, one thing that, that I watched with Walker, he's not just a go-route guy. You know, and that is huge watching that. One of the one thing that gets me fired up, and this is a, a me segment, I don't like when other teams disrespect other teams, right? And I felt like when Miami could have had Carolina in second and 30 and they declined that holding penalty. Yeah. And then Carolina scored on the immediate play. That, that'll get you thrown down, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's what Tez did. Jason, talk about Tez as a complete receiver, not just a guy that you go. He, he flashed it all last night. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, he has the full complement of the game breaking speed merchant, you know, package. 
So the thing about him is that, that – and you could see Miami's corner is giving him respect in this game, the way that they would line up and, and bail. You know, they're, they're lined up eight yards off and then just – like, look, you can you can run a stop route or whatever. We're going to try to come up and tackle you, but you, you're not going to run behind us. And then, of course, they got a one-on-one with outside leverage, and he ran right behind right behind him on the one. But the thing is, as they started to work to to take away that that deep stuff, because because of that respect, that's when you know he hits the square in, you know, the little dig. Uh, that's when uh, early on, you know, you're hitting that that little uh, that little skinny for a touchdown. Uh, and then, you know, you saw a couple of the others on, on, on some shorter routes. All of this is stuff for the most part with him on the move where he's running away from coverage. And that makes him, you know, that's where the speed really matters and having a guy like Drake may who can hit him in stride going across the field (laughs) sure helps. Um, but he, he basically is one of those guys that, that if you try to cover him too much over the top. He's he's got the ability to sink his hips and stop. He's got the ability to to come across the field and you know he's got soft hands. He, these are hands catches. He's not catching into his body. He's not fighting the football. He's a guy that can comfortably catch on the move. And when you've got that combination, now you've got a guy that that most teams are going to have to double realistically. And you know, good luck with that. That's the, the, the thing that that's going to open up is not just Hampton and, and the running game. That's also going to make it a lot easier for a guy like Nate McCollum coming, moving forward because teams are going to want to try to take Tez away and they're going to put that extra attention on Tez. And now you're going to have that, those opportunities for, for Nate, who's going to have one-on-one. And sometimes I think you might even see him with one-on-none some where you're going to get some busts because, they're, they're going to line those guys up. You saw them in the second half, especially lining those guys up on the same side at different points. And defenses are going to have a real hard time with that. So it makes things a lot easier on the whole just for the for the, the offense. And the difference with him versus without him, I, I think you guys can see. I think everybody in this in this in this chat can see why it was that, you know, in our season preview when we were doing our predictions, why I said, look, if Tez Walker had been eligible, I'd have picked this Carolina team to beat Clemson. I'm picking this team to probably go, you know, maybe one loss or better into the in, in conference play going into the into the ACC title game because that's a different kind of offense when you have Drake May with that kind of weapon on top of some of the other stuff that this offense can do in terms of balance. And right now, I, I would favor this team over Clemson because – with Tez Walker, this is a this is a contender. This is a team that can beat anybody. Uh, I mean, one play that the, the, I believe it was his first touchdown, and I tweeted about it. Um, I don't know if it went through. Who knows about a tweet going through in Keenan Stadium? But uh, Tez caught that pass because Nate drugged the safety up. The yeah, safety. A little dagger concept. Yeah, and it's cool how those guys play off each other. And for Drake and Tez to be so in sync, uh, you know, I know they practice all summer, they throw all the time, but a couple of those throws when Walker's running full speed across the field and Drake throws it 20 yards in front of him, and it's just on the money, perfect. Um, They've got in sync really quick. Buck, uh, you know, North Carolina's run game, Marion Hampton, 
197 against a Miami team that had been giving up 60 on the year. Um, Milcon's ability to be powerful and to, you know, impose their will on a team like Miami, especially after how it started, especially with that Miami defensive line. Let's sort of try to put perspective. I see all sorts of folks trying to compare Omarion to somebody. What? Who's he remind you of? It, if you can quantify that at this point in his early career. Well, I'm of the mind that uh, the medieval way of looking at comparisons is the way to do it. Is <laughs> they're odious. Uh, comparisons are odious, is what the Renaissance folks used to talk about. <laughs> But if you had to, if you had to pick somebody in the uh, Carolina family to compare him to, uh, Elijah Hood a little, um, you know, maybe Natron Means a little, uh, but that's just because of, of the size and physicality of him. I think he brings other things to the table. They brought other things to the table. I don't think a comparison is particularly useful in this case. But what you were talking earlier about. Uh, Jason putting together some film this week. I remember uh, last year he did some film of Omarion in terms of his running, and he wasn't doing so good at that time. Um, it, he wasn't who we expected him to be then, and there are reasons for that that uh, Jason brought out. And I'd like to see a compare and contrast video of that. That's what he was doing last year. This is what he's doing this year. And I, I think you would see a dramatic difference in terms of how he approaches the game. Um, his ability to follow blockers a little better. Um, his vision. Um, not just uh, settling for the, the fact that he can run over most people. Um, that he can actually dodge them before he has to. So, uh, yeah, I, he's made significant progress as a running back. Um you know, one of the things we always talk about is development on uh, college football, in college football. He, he's developing really nicely. Um, I'm assuming he's going to come back next year. or He has to, correct? Yeah. Yes. True uh, self. And uh, he, he's going to be uh, get a lot of preseason ink uh, for the, the way he's uh, r- running the rock today. That's for sure. Yeah. And – Somebody on the message board said he didn't have game-breaking speed. Um, he sure looked like it there on one of those plays. Jason, the difference in Hampton that you've seen, obviously he had a, a great game against App State. Um, but to do it against this Miami team with that speed, James Williams came up and laid the wood early um, and, and knocked him back, which was surprising. I have not seen anybody do that, but – but, Jason, you just sort of overall take on Hampton. And it's not just him. The offensive line, especially in the second half, was sealing off the edge. Um, but your thoughts there with the growth from that young man? Yeah, anybody who says Hampton doesn't have game-breaking speed, I mean, the guy ran 10-7-1 in the 100 yes. meters in high school. I mean, you know, yeah, I, is, I, don't, I, don't, I don't – I don't have any idea what people are talking about when they do that. I hope after yesterday that narrative will disappear. Yeah, I, I don't think that uh, – that – that holds up. I mean, I think that I'm not sure if that was a hand time. Uh, cause I don't think he, he quite runs at the, at the 10, seven. Uh, yeah, that was at a quad meet. So there's probably a hand time. So, you know, looking at the conference championships and a couple of these others, he's a 10, nine, 10, nine, five, 11 flat 
guy probably on on fat timing fully automatic so you know that's that's still real fast and for a guy that's 220 pounds that's that's game breaking speed so first of all that narrative needs to be put to bed i mean he is he tyreek hill well no but who is <laughs> he's who awfully is? fast yeah there's not another tyreek hill out there right so you know he the guy can the guy can can really move uh but the biggest thing is is I think he's they've found ways for him to sort of slow his track down early on because last year he'd rush to the line of scrimmage a decent amount of the time. And now what's happening is, first of all, they've, they've done a good job of, of calling concepts that I think he's real comfortable with in the running game and blocking them well. But now what's happening is he's he's under control coming into the line of scrimmage. And when he sees a seam, that's when he he bursts. And you can see that burst and that acceleration. And once he gets going, I mean, the guy's, he's a load. He's going to be hard to get on the ground because just the momentum of a 220 pound guy moving forward at that speed is, is tough. So, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think the improvement there has been significant. Um, I'm seeing a lot of comparisons here that I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm seeing one guy saying Herschel Walker and other, uh, you know, I think the, the running style is real different from, from a lot of those guys. Uh, but, you know, he's, a, he's, a, he's his own back. You know, he, 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 uh, you're looking at a guy with that kind of acceleration and, you know, he, the thing that sticks out to me is when he, when he does take off running is how light his feet are. I mean, that sticks out. I mean, he, he runs really light on his feet. Uh, and for somebody that size, that's unusual. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just think there's been a lot of progress there. He's made a, a uh, he's made it just a huge stride forward. And instead of running with his head down and sprinting into the line of scrimmage, just trying to knock people over all the time, he's running, he's running smart. He's running intelligent and finding space. And the, the offensive line, I, I think you have to give them credit. They've struggled in pass blocking this year, you know, quite a bit. And they struggled in pass blocking against Miami a good bit last night, but run blocking wise, they've been, they've been awfully good. I, I think they've been a pretty good offensive line in, in the running game. And you could see that last night. My, they couldn't block on, the Miami. Left-hand side. on the left-hand side, they're really good. Oh yeah. Yeah. They, they couldn't block Miami's pass rush at, at various points last night, but Miami could not get stops in the running game when Carolina committed to the run through most of that game. And and so that's a nice synergy between the offensive line and especially the left side, as you said, and, uh, and, and Hampton who, you know, was able to find those seams. Yeah. I mean, the, the way he just, you know, North Carolina needed carries. Now North Carolina did not do that late in the game. They could not sustain that and really put that game away and left it a little bit interesting um, but when you're still getting field goals at that point, it's a good deal. But, but Buck, you know, I feel like we miss people. We don't talk about everybody on these these shows. But just uh, I'll do it like I did earlier so I don't miss something that you guys want to talk about. Somebody on the offense we haven't mentioned. Drake, of course, was Drake. Uh, I mean, there was a couple of throws, a couple of plays that he just continues to be that guy. I think he was probably his worst completion percentage in his career and still had four touchdowns and no interceptions. But – but offensively, somebody we may have not have mentioned. And before I give you that, 821 in the chat right now. So we've set a record for our live chat um, here on a Sunday morning for the day after. Um, talk about 
that offense, who are we not thinking about? Um, J.J. Jones had a big catch. Copenhaver had a big catch. You talk about twinkle toes, Jason, light on his feet. Copenhaver tip-tapping down the line over there. Um, but, Buck, go. You know, one of the things, this is uh, sort of a cheat. I'm cheating here uh, because the, the one I'm going to talk about that we say we haven't mentioned is Tez Walker. And, <laughs> and, and, but I'm mentioning him in a different way. Um, I noticed that uh, Chip Lindsey gave him a couple of runs yesterday. Uh, one of them that what went for 20 yards or thereabouts on an end around or uh, a jet sweep. Uh, I don't know how other people feel about that, but I like that. I like that they work that wrinkle into the offense. That they they know that he's got mad you know yards after the catch skills. So anytime you can get the ball in his hands um, in open space, you you can't hate that, right? Uh, so uh, he had he only had two carries, uh, but I I really like that. I like it from a couple of different ways, but it's it, it's also a way to make the opposing team have to game plan or for that, you know and and to make themselves aware, well, you know, he might do that. It's just, just in the, adds a little wrinkle to the game. I don't think it's a huge game changer, but I enjoy seeing that out of the offense. Yeah, there was one play uh, there late right in front of us, in front of the student section, where if they'd have given it to Nate on the jet sweep, he probably walks in. But instead, they end up throwing it to him, and he, and he loses a couple yards. Jason, uh, offense, uh, the only ding I would give him, is they couldn't block Miami early, but they adjusted. And then maybe the in-game strategy. Chip Perrin in the chat says, please get to the in-game chat the strategy. Um, but who are we missing, Jason, on the offense? Well, I, I think one thing I just want to highlight is is just the, the, the most important, probably the most important number offensively in this game. Zero. Zero turnovers. turnovers. That's right. Miami had four. Right. This was a this was an even game. This was this this game, despite Carolina winning pretty comfortably, and you know comfortably despite some not great play to put the put the game away down the stretch. You know, deciding to I, I thought they went into a shell, and I think that's what people are talking about in terms of late game. They went into a, they went into a little bit of a shell late and offensively and and. Going into four minute, they they just tried to you know they put what Caleb Hood in and tried to just pound the ball. You know I, I was not a big fan of that. I thought in that in that case you still run your offense. I, I don't care whether it's Caleb Hood or anybody else. I don't think that's the issue, but I think you got to run your offense and and try to get a couple first downs. And you know it's it was just too early to to treat it like it was two minute right. This is four or five minute, and four minute offense is different from two minute you know two minute rundown. So I, I did think they needed to clean that up and defensively giving up that long, long one late was pretty inexcusable, but this game, this game basically boiled down to turnovers and for all the pressure he was under, I mean, like you said, Drake may what 52% completion percentage, 17 of 33 and looked very uncomfortable, especially in the first half for all the pressure he was under, not one turnover. 
Now, there was one very turnover-worthy throw, <laughs> the one that should have been intercepted down the left side, where, you know, he, uh, this that was one where uh, Willie Lampkin turned the wrong way, took the wrong guy in pass protection, and you had a, a, defensive, a defensive end get a free shot. And I think Drake was so surprised by that and tried to throw it away and get it out there, but his arm got hit, ball kind of fluttered. That ball should have been picked. But aside from that, there were no turnover-worthy plays in this game from Carolina. That's the difference in the game. And, I, you know, I had a, a buddy shout out to a double UNC grad Thomas Thurman. Uh, he sent me a text last night saying, you guys really need to discuss on the, on, the, on the podcast tomorrow morning, you need to discuss how different this game looks if Miami doesn't fumble going into the end zone in the first half and doesn't drop the snap when they're starting to drive in the early third quarter. You know, how different does this game look? Well, you know, I think it looks pretty different. Because now, instead of being 7-7, it's 14-7 to early. And, you know, at the half, it's Miami with the, with a significant lead. Then as they're starting to move in the, in the, in the uh, third quarter, instead of that being a, a, another drive that potentially scores or at least, you know, flips that field, all of a sudden, Carolina gets great field position, and then they don't score on it. But but all of a sudden, you're you're able to pin them back, and then uh, then the game progresses from there. I, I think you have to give a lot of credit to Carolina for protecting the football the way that they did under pressure. And so I'm going to cheat too. Buck said, you know, the guy that he wants to talk about and give extra credit to on that is Tez Walker. The guy I want to talk about on that is Drake May of protecting the football when under significant duress through a good portion of this game, which is something that Tyler Van Dyke did not do two interceptions. And and then, you know, that snap is as much on the, that's more on the, on the center than on him, but still didn't come down you know, still didn't catch the snap. And then when he didn't catch it, didn't fall on it quickly enough. That's the difference. And, you know, you, in these big games, having a quarterback who, Look at USC last night. Everybody wants to talk about Caleb May or Caleb Williams over Drake May. Everyone wants to talk about Caleb Williams as, you know, this generational way better than any, any other quarterback who's ever played the game at the college level lately. It seems like, and then you look at him against Notre Dame last night and he throws a bunch of interceptions. He threw three interceptions in the first half. And you're throwing it right to guys. Yeah. Just did not see underneath coverage. And last night, there were some opportunities where Miami Miami got the rush in, just like what, what Notre Dame had done against Caleb Williams. And there were some guys that, that Drake could have missed in terms of coverage, and he saw them. And like I said, he made one mistake, one big mistake, where that, that should have been intercepted. But otherwise, I don't think he made a turnover-worthy worthy play. And you give him a helmet sticker for that one because – that's where big games are won is quarterbacks making the right decisions under duress. When you're playing top level football, your offensive line is not always going to be able to block them. That's just the reality. You got to be able to make plays under duress. And Carolina did that over and over last night. And that's what turned this game around is getting those turnovers and then not doing it, not doing it yourself. Yeah, there was a couple of plays. Uh, I think May put one on the ground in the end zone, and Carolina 
recovered that. But I, I thought a big play, and it was 51. Uh, Maui Noah, I think the linebacker for Miami, comes around the edge and has a free shot on May, and May never saw him. And for him to hold on to that ball there, that's a scoop and score type play that just didn't happen. There yeah, was and, a, and, and actually there was one other turnover-worthy play. That was the whiff in the end zone. And Carolina did get a little bit lucky there that, you know, that they got lucky on two plays. I mean, there were 14 points in this game that if Miami fumbles six inches further, it's a touchdown. And that ball sitting in, in the Carolina end zone for how long before the guy who missed the block <laughs> picks it up, you know, <laughs> uh, so you, you, you had, uh, and then runs it out of the end zone. So instead of a, instead of a touchdown for Miami, you end up with, you know, small gain there there was some luck involved in this game as dominant as the outcome was in a lot of ways there was some you know even really good teams need luck uh as the as the season goes on and carolina had some bounces go their way early and late in this game that that really helped and and that that should not be uh overlooked because this game could have gone the other you know buck you mentioned the you know four or five plays or two or three plays early in the in the podcast and you know you could make a list really easily of the you know three or four plays that completely changed this outcome despite the fact that I think Carolina was the better team and outplayed Miami on the night got we're going over an hour folks sorry if you've got Sunday morning plans you got to stick with us and it's 820 in the chat uh but I'm going to take a second now to talk about congruity. You know, they're, they're our friends at congruity. They need to be friends of Inside Carolina readers and watchers. They're North Carolina-based national coverage, local presence, personal support straight from the Tar Heel State. Local is my thing. Congruity is just another example of that. And they're sponsors of Inside Carolina. They empower your small and mid-sized business owners with their HR and payroll outsourcing enabled to you. But what's the most important part of Inside Carolina? It's the people, right? It's the people. Yes, it's, it's absolutely. People. It is the people that you take care of day in and day out, and that's why the product's so great. Well, Congruity does the same thing. They take care of everything so you can handle your people, and they've got a wonderful customer service, technological technological support. Uh, it's early, folks. It's Sunday morning. It's early. Uh, it's tailor-made for everything you need to grow your business, to handle all your business needs. They handle it. Level up your HR capabilities, save money, and unlock that game-changing growth. So do this if you're an Inside Carolina person. If you're a Tar Heel fan, if you want to do this and be local about it, go to congruityhr.com front slash Tar Heels. Go on there, fill out the form. They'll get you connected with a consultant. You'll get a free assessment. Again, Inside Carolina listeners get a free assessment at congruityhr.com front slash Tar Heels. Let Darren and Matt and their team provide that personalized experience for all your mid and small business needs. We need to talk special teams, but we never talk special teams on this. Noah Burnett has stepped up, continues to make kicks. We talk about the offense sputtered at the end of the game. You got to make those field goals or it becomes, you know, an iffy type situation Tom McGinnis comes in for Bieran Kiernan out for the year and makes punts Miami didn't really try to go after him a lot which was surprising to me after seeing success in the week but Buck special teams North Carolina's had that ability to get that stuff cleaned up and guys that struggled are now consistently being good uh, 
just briefly there. We don't talk about it enough. It's the third phase, and North Carolina continues to win it week in and week out. Well, I think one of the things that uh, Mac uh, Brown does and brings to the table is that uh, you if pay if you watch his press conferences, he almost never gets through one without talking about special teams. And uh, this past week, he talked about um, they hadn't let a, a couple of kickoffs. They let them get to like the 35 yard line. He says, that, that just can't happen. We, that's not who we want to be, um, is to, you know, let people get out to the 35 or better, uh, to start a drive. Um, and if you want to get nerdy about it, you can look at, uh, some of the statistical sites, uh, Brian Freemile's uh, site and talking about what your odds are of scoring from where you, the drive, drive begins. Um, where that drive starts can statistically has a big impact on whether they're going to get points out of that drive or not. So, um, but I'm glad that, um, Tom McGinnis, I guess that's his name, um, came in and, and picked up for Ben Kernan and, um, thank God for those Aussies, uh, keep bringing them over here. Um. <laughs> He has a little bit different style of kicking, it seems to me. Uh, his kicking leg doesn't seem to come above his hip, kind of. You know, he uh, kind of punches it out there. Um, but in any way, uh, it's good to see that uh, you know Noah is uh, hitting the field goals and uh, the uh, Tom is hitting the punts. Um, but I do think they need to get a, a little work in on how to limit the kickoffs um, and clean a few things up there. But that's, that's the, I think, the strength of uh, this team this particular year is uh, they concentrate constantly on uh, what can we do to get a little better? What can we, where can we re- improve this aspect of whatever we're doing special teams, defense, offense, how can we clean up some things there and get better as a team? And, and I really believe we played, we're six games in. I don't believe we've seen how good this team can be yet. Um, hopefully we'll get to see that at some point during the season. Jason, I'll come to you. Uh, you, you know, watching this game, it was the longest football game of the year, I think. I think it was 344 total. Um, let's talk about the penalties. I don't like talking about officiating, but North Carolina was called for a lost count of holding calls. And quite frankly, some of them were legit. Maybe all of them were legit on review. But Miami had two holding calls, and they were on Tez Walker and on a kickoff, I believe. Uh I don't know if I've seen that disparity before, right? Especially when you've got guys getting uh, arms around necks and jerseys getting pulled off. I mean, if if Carolina – and this happens for every team – but if Carolina had gone back to the old tearaway jerseys, I mean, Cayman Rucker would have been out there running around half-naked because he just got held every play. You, your thoughts on – was it a, a failing by Carolina in this game to be disciplined, or is it just something that – everybody else saw that that maybe North Carolina was not able to get their head around and, and fix. I, I don't know. Your thoughts there. I don't like doing it, but everybody wants us to talk about the penalties and holding calls. 
Yeah, you know, honestly, I thought by and large, the disparity w- reflected what was actually happening in the game. Um, and I know that's going to be an unpopular opinion. <laughs> and there's going to be screenshots of guys, you know, getting hooked or, you know, jerseys being tugged. And that and, and it's true. I mean, some of those will will were there. Uh, but so couple things here. First of all, my dad was an official. He was a big 10 official for a number of years. So I got to hear all of this growing up, you know, as he was getting trained and all of this, it's not just about whether or not there's someone, someone being held or, or whether there's a holding happening. I mean, the, you know, the old saying of there's holding that happens on every play is true. The, 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 the hard balance for officials is you're not only supposed to call where there's a hold, but you're supposed to call holding when it affects the 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 outcome of the play. So, you know, it's sort of like in, and I don't know how many people here actually watch soccer or have played soccer or whatever, but it's sort of like advantage, right? You know, there might be a foul involved, but like there's advantage. It didn't actually impact the play. So you just don't stop the play. Um, In this case, it's advantage where, if you see a running back go through a hole that happens to coincide with the guy like at the point of that hole, stretching the Jersey and not letting the guy go, or, you know, you see a takedown there, you're going to see that called versus in other cases where you've got an offensive lineman who's in pretty good position with his feet and defensive lineman, you know, sort of starts in, in, in one spot and then eventually kind of works his way to where, hand that was inside in one spot ends up being a bit of a hook and the quarterback gets rid of it quickly enough where it's probably not going to change anything. You don't call that. So I think that was the big, that was the bulk of the difference is I thought, first of all, Carolina ran it and ran it better than Miami. (laughs) And, you know, on a, on a few of those plays, you know, where you've got a little bit of a hold over here, whatever you got a Miami running back being tackled at the line of scrimmage because somebody else just, you know, came in and made the play. You didn't, you know, you're not going to see that called half the time. Um, so I, I think that's a big part of it is just the way the game is enforced and, you know, football rules, the way they're enforced are pretty arcane. I mean, I hate the way that, that pass interference is, is officiated these days, right? There's, there's a certain level of just inconsistency that's baked into the way that things are enforced. And that was on display last night. But I think by and large, all but maybe one or two of the of the holds that was called on on Carolina, I would have called. I mean, I, I thought I thought the one there was one that was a bit of a cheapy in particular on a on an inside run where I know why they called it. It's an indicator situation where you had the the interior lineman. I think it was Gainer uh, had had a uh, or might have been it, it was either Gainer or sixty three uh, 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 Montalus. Um, where, you know, he's extending his hands and you could see the, the defensive lineman go down. And I thought from the, from the back angle, the, the, it, it looked like a hold from the back, but from the front angle, it was one where it looked like he was just pushing him down. And, you know, it's one where you're going to get called based on the indicator of it looks like a takedown, but I thought that was iffy. Beyond that, I thought most of them, you know, as soon as I looked at it, I was like, yeah. Or, you know, I could see it in live action going, okay, that's probably a hold. And then you see the flag fly. So, you know, some of it was just, mis- you know, un- unfortunate. Some of it was Carolina struggled to block them up front. And, you know, Miami's a bigger 
offensive line and a little more athletic on the offensive line. And I thought they were in a little better position against Carolina and most of the night on some of that stuff. So that's why it didn't get called is, you know, when your feet are in position and when you do let go at different points and you're not seeing takedowns, you're going to see less of it, but the disparity is still the disparity. And, you know, Carolina still had to overcome a lot on that and they did. And, and so, you know, that's where, where, where you need to go. But uh, if you're, if you're Carolina, you come out of this and you're you're working through your fundamentals pretty heavily this week to make sure that guys are moving their feet well, that hand placement is a little better, and above all, for the love of God, you know, let guys go when it's time. You know, that's that was the the biggest mistake is there were a number of times where as the back was getting through the hole or he's passing you, turn him loose at that last minute instead of holding on and and taking the guy down or whatever or pulling him down on top of you, these sorts of things you have to, there's a point at which you can hold to a certain point, but you have to let the guy go before he sort of flops over or before he, you know, you see that final Jersey stretch and that's something they're going to have to work on. Tommy, can I jump in for a second? Yeah. I was going to say to Jason's point that I think the holds on Carolina were legit. The ones they called, I think the lack of calls like a player like Rucker got is my biggest beef here, but sorry, but yes, go ahead. No, what I was going to say is that uh, some of those holding calls, I believe were business decisions made by the offensive line that uh, if you call me, catch me for holding and you call me on, for holding, I can live with that. What I can't live with is having my quarterback get killed. Yep. Yeah. It reminds, reminds me of that old uh, scene from the longest yard, right? Uh, <laughs> original one where uh burt reynolds says uh hey your job is to make sure i don't get hit and the next play the guy comes through the line and some get huge mountain of a man just cold cock somebody right-handed you know hey you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna touch my quarterback you know uh, so uh, uh i think there was in some occasions that's what was happening yeah uh you, you got past me and you're going to get my quarterback unless I get a hold of you. So I'm going to get a hold of you. I'm not going to let you get Roll- That was Spencer Rowland's uh, hold. Uh, that was absolutely one of those. And then uh, Corey Gaynor had the one where he pulled the guy on top of himself. Those two stick out immediately yeah. as examples of that. Yeah. So I think that some of that was what was going on. North Carolina wasn't, at least not early, uh, through the first half before, pretty much, not putting that same kind of pressure on uh, Tyler Van Dyke. Uh, the defensive line wasn't getting to him. They got to him some in the second half, but for a lot of the game, uh, the Miami offensive line was able to to keep uh, Tyler cleaner uh, than North Carolina's offensive line was. Yeah, I mean, that's why I don't really like talking about penalties because it usually comes out in the wash, but that, that would be my beef. And not only that, it just makes the game drag on and on and on. Uh, Jason, final thoughts before we get out of here. North Carolina goes to 6-0. and I don't know when the rankings come out. I guess in a couple hours. Could see a legitimate chance North Carolina's in the top 10 in the nation with Virginia coming to town next week on the CW. Uh, you know, it, it's another game on television. We'll see how the CW handles it. You know, I like their announcers better than I do the ACCN announcers, to be honest with you. I have not been – I had the opportunity to watch one, but I will I will tape it next week and give you my thoughts there. Um, I'm gonna let Buck go last. Jason, final thoughts. North Carolina gets it done, answers the bell, 
in against Miami and Keenan Stadium. So a couple things. Uh, first of all, did you happen to uh, to for those of you wondering, for those of you out there, and it's been a, p- a point of discussion all season so far of you know, is Chip Lindsey in this offensive staff? Is it really an upgrade? You know, are they? <laughs> is this really something to? You know, or is it a downgrade? I mean, where where did things stand? Did you catch the score of the Wisconsin Iowa game last night? I you know I don't need to watch ugly football. If I want to watch that kind of ugly football, I'll go to the middle school and watch it. How many points did Wisconsin score? Just for the record, do you know, Buck? I don't. I didn't keep up with it. No, six. You don't six. need more. You don't need more than two hands. <laughs> now look, Iowa's defense is legitimately ridiculous. Yes, but we've all seen that song and dance before in terms of big game against a really good defense and all of a sudden points are more scarce. How many, how many points did North Carolina score last night against the best defense they played all season? A top 20 defense in both areas, 41. That's something to, to put under your hat of, I think this is a, this is a situation where, and yes, I know Wisconsin lost their quarterback no, no question. But again, they, they got three quarterbacks in the transfer portal before the season. So they had a little depth there. But the, the, the difference in terms of the balance and the ability to have some wrinkles you know, up your sleeve and be able to adjust on the fly and counter to some things and, and, have, and be able to play you know, amphibiously to be able to you know, beat you with your right hand or your left – I think Carolina is better this season on the offensive side of the ball than they were last year. And, and I think we saw that last night. Uh, so that's my, my final thought. And with that, I'll just go ahead and get in the victory formation and take a knee. Buck Sanders, uh, take the last snap of this one. Carolina 41, 31. We're hour and 12 minutes in the longest day after the biggest day after we've ever had shout out to the chat. Uh, you guys have been amazing. I see questions in there that we haven't gotten to. Uh, some will address this week. Uh, we are not revising predictions yet. Still a long season, MCAM. But close us out. Well, I'm just going to leave you with uh, my favorite uh, joke coming out of the uh, knee situation uh, that I heard over the last several days. Uh, the difference between Tanya Harding a Mario Cristobal. One knows how to take a knee. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Exactly. No, I, I did see, by the way, that 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 uh, that the the lead candidate to take over for uh, the head coach at Miami uh, after Cristobal, whenever that is, is actually Colin Kaepernick. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I knew it. Yeah. We are done. We are officially done with Miami. We're toast now. We're toast. We are early this- in the morning, people. Let's get out of here. This is a, it's been a, a long couple of days. Um, Inside Carolina has been there for you. You have been there for Inside Carolina. Buck Sanders is a man. Hey, by the way, great tailgate. I was I was a little nervous the way the Bowls lot was empty early. Um, you know, it's a big game for the Bowls lot to be empty weather, um, but the fans certainly brought it later in the Bowls lot. But we had a great conversation with Joey uh, to wrap that show up. And then the fans in Keenan Stadium were on it. Uh, we finally got to see the light show on full display in Keenan Stadium. That was pretty cool. Jason, we got to get you to the Bowls lot. Uh, you know, I'm going to drive to uh, 
the countryside and we'll pick you up bring you well, to we gotta play a game of golf anyway oh yeah 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 absolutely so maybe we can uh do the double we'll do a golf around the golf and a carolina game where jason's on site in the bowls lot it's been so fun on this one stay tuned inside carolina for the rest of the coverage taylor vip shot coast to coast this week with sherelle shout out to sherelle for being in the chat joey for being in the chat uh, fun week at Inside Carolina coming up. There is no off season, certainly not now that Carolina is six and zero, halfway through the season. Buck Sanders, Jason Staples, shout out to Congruity and HR CongruityHR.com front slash Tar Heels, <laughs> and shout out to Johnny T-shirt and oh. JohnnyT-shirt.com. It's always a pleasure, folks. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.